As I was snacking one day, I kind of was thinking to myself, what the fuck is the right language to use with my young children now around bodies and appropriate clothing and pleasure and etc. and how to have these kind of really deep conversations with them using language that's appropriate for young children before they hit puberty, which is actually a lot sooner than I realized it is, by the way. And so I decided to reach out to the Puberty Podcast ladies to get all my answers, so I hope you'll enjoy today's episode, which covers it all. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. Sorry for that. I don't know why I'm a little extra animated today. (laughs) I am very excited about my two guests today, Vanessa Kroll-Bennett and Cara Natterson, who are the A-game hosts of the hit podcast called the puberty podcast so welcome today vanessa and cara thank you thank you we like being called hit i like being called a game you guys are sensational (laughs) (laughs) vanessa founded a group called dynamo girl which is a like girls empowerment program through sports and cara is a pediatrician turned consultant author and the two of them together have a real a book I'm excited about reading um, on puberty, and anyone who has kids in that age category is going to need to pick it up. It's called "This Is So Awkward" because isn't that like what every fucking tween teen says all the time? Like adult, every adult says it too. Like oof. This is so awkward. I know. Well, it is. These are some of the questions that I have for you. I'm like, oh my God, even thinking about talking about this shit with my kids makes me feel awkward already. But I feel like we need this like now. We need to know because my, probably a lot of the demographic listening to to us is like maybe more in my wheelhouse now. Like my oldest is only nine and I'm about to turn 10, that kind of thing. But that's going to be a blink, right? And we're going to be talking about pubes. Well, I mean, they're in it at nine and 10. They're in it. Caitlin, the average age for the onset of boys' puberty is between nine and 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Shut your no, knock yes. it off. Yes. What? What happens, starts happening at that age? Well, the funny thing about what happens in boys is that it's testicular and penile growth. For, oh. Like, for a while, that is the first sign of male puberty. And it's also the time when kids get private. And so you may not know that your kid is starting puberty because it's under their underwear and their pajamas and their shorts and they're showering on their own and they're getting changed in the closet and you don't know that that is happening. But yes, between nine and 10 for boys. Well, so I have some real exhibitionists in my household. Oh, Nobody's, you're so everybody's lucky. I'm very so jealous. naked people. And I'm not like a particularly naked person. I'm not shy. I'm not very modest, but I'm also not like walking through the whole house. My yeah, kids but are those, just like. Those parents who have nudists in their home know exactly <laughs> what's happening developmentally. And those of us who did not have nudists were like, hmm, I'm desperate to know. But uh, no, even I didn't look. So we should also add that the average age of puberty, onset of puberty for girls is between eight and nine. And what does that mean? Hair and nipple growth and stuff? So breast buds. The little raisins. The little sensitive, puffy raisins, raisins that have been like put in, cooked in bread pudding. Yeah, but they are sensitive. (laughs) Very, very sensitive. I re- nobody ever told me about those when I was growing up. And I remember I got hit in the raisin 
nipple. <laughs> and I was like, ow, what the fuck yes. is that? Yes. And they get moody, by the way, because the estrogen that's telling their breasts to start growing is also circulating in their brain and it's telling them to wear some of their emotions on their sleeve. Oh, it's terrifying. So hair is technically, and when you read our book, which you will, obviously, hair growth is not technically part of puberty. It's actually part of adrenarchy, which is governed by a different set of hormones. The adrenal? Yes. Yeah, but wait, sorry, we didn't say, and Vanessa, you have four kids. Right. I have four kids between the ages of 12 and 20. She has so many children. And you have two teenagers, Cara. I do. I have one who's about to turn 18 and one who's about to turn 20. So um, they will always be my loves and my responsibility. But legally, I'm off the hook in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. (laughs) But it doesn't end. No, of course not. I still need my parents today. Yes. And you think you feel like it's a shit show in your house with younger kids, right? It's like lunchtime and dinner time and bedtime and teeth brushing, right? Where you just want to like go hide under your bed. It's a different kind of hard when they get older. This is what everybody says. I don't like it, by the way. I don't like hearing that. I'm like, let me have my moment of (laughs) shitting all over this phase of life right now. Okay. I'll get there. I'm in a sweet spot. Like my kids are in a great age place right now, which I am adoring, but I know that's going to shift soon. I'm terrified. The second you are feeling great, it's all going to fall apart. Vanessa. (laughs) (laughs) It's a job you can't quit. Yeah. No breaks, no vacations. No resignation. (laughs) It's bullshit. There's nobody in HR. Um, <laughs> no, you are we, HR. Yeah, that's right. right. You're HR and everything else. But I don't want to. I don't want to scare people because it is awesome. And kids this age, tweens and teens and young adults, are actually really amazing. And Caitlin, you will appreciate this because they're funny as hell. Yes, they're so funny, and they only get funnier because it stops being accidental funny and turns to being on purpose funny. And it's like, yes, they're really brilliant. I'm and like, really please fun. come at me with your hot lingo. I need the new material. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Yes. Caitlin. I cannot wait for that shit. My son and daughter who are two years apart would categorically always shower together. And it's been a beautiful thing. I'll just be like, guys, go on up, take a shower. It's time. And they do it on their own. And I don't know, it was at some point like maybe a year ago where Mm. I started to think, not by them, by me. And now I think I might have fucked them up over it unnecessarily. (laughs) So, but like, what is the time or like the sign or whatever when it's time for like, you know, opposite sex siblings to stop hitting the showers together? So one thing that you asked in that question was about the kids being different genders. And I want to just throw out there that the advice that we give about puberty and managing puberty, everything from how you handle things at home all the way through school, health, and sex ed, our advice is generally to ungender all of it. Yeah. And the reason why is everyone should have sort of a a base foundational knowledge about everybody. So there should be nothing kind of siloed about what you've got is special and you should know about what you've got, but you shouldn't know about what anyone else has. I think that thinking has has been thrown out, which is great. Um, the world is catching up slowly. So some some health educators 
teach everything together. Some don't. But the reason I frame it that way is I'm not sure the answer is really all that different, whether your kids are the same gender or Mm. different genders in terms of when should they be parading around the house naked, taking baths or showers together. I mean, Vanessa may have a different opinion on this. We do not write about this in our book. But my opinion is when your gut sense is that it's probably time for it to not happen anymore, then it's probably time for it to not happen anymore. But Mm. it's going to be really different in really different homes depending upon everything, the family structure, the number of kids, the temperaments, the factors around that are influencing why something presents the way it does. So I would think in Vanessa's house, the nudity suggestions might look different than they look in my house. Yeah. I mean, I think So the place to start is the kid's comfort level because siblings will let each other know how they feel about the other one's behavior, whether it's like seeing a sibling pick their nose and eat it, whether it's like a sibling pooping while someone else is brushing their teeth and they don't want them to do that while they're brushing their teeth because like, frankly, it's gross. Um, And then you can get to nudie, right? So like my oldest kid sometimes would come to the breakfast table without a shirt on. Um, You know, he'd woken up, he was in his pajama bottoms, he'd come to eat breakfast. And one of my other kids was like, can you stop coming to the table without your shirt on? Like everyone else has a shirt on and I don't know, it doesn't make me feel great. And he was annoyed because he wanted to not wear a shirt, but he was being asked. And that's a great opportunity also to teach kids about consent. Like often a lot of learning around consent happens in like completely non-sexual environments. It happens between friends or siblings or family members. And so if someone says to you, hey, can you please not insert, then you have to teach your kids to respect that. So I had to say to my kid, hey, someone's asking you to put on a shirt at the breakfast table. It's time to start putting on a shirt at the breakfast table. So I want to ask about that with the consent thing and not wearing a shirt and stuff, because this is a whole nother question that I had about clothing choices in general, especially as it for, for women and young girls. And my, like my daughter is already like, I basically want to dress like a Gothic hooker. And I'm kind of like, (laughs) I don't think that you're ready for that. And I hope you're never actually going to go that, you know, path, but like, how do I tell you that you just can't, you can't be a Gothic hooker. You're seven. (laughs) You know, there's the the word can or can't um, in the sentence you asked, like you can't dress this way. Um, that is a word that will quickly fall out of your vocabulary as your kids hit their teens because can't is an invitation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You've right? got to play the psychological warfare game. You got to be ready for that. So- I would flip it and and start sharing the why behind it, the rationale, right? Like, hey, when you wear a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of fabric wrapped around your nipples and nothing else on your top, for instance, that invites people to look at your body and I want you to feel great about your body, but I'm not sure, is your goal to have everyone looking at your body? And when framed that way and said truly non-judgmentally, the kids have the ability then to understand that your your desire for them to dress a certain way is really about your your hope that you're keeping them safe and healthy. That that's your job. 
you know, and that's the line we always fall back on. My job is to keep you safe and healthy. So I'm just going to ask you this question. When you wear this thing, now that doesn't help with the thing that's really ugly that you don't want them to wear or really, you know, whatever, but it does <laughs> right. help. Unflattering. <laughs> totally. But it does help with the the thing that's sort of super sexual because that's that's the worry, right? And I sometimes just draw lines. Like I'm like, it. it's our right to draw lines. Like we as parents need to draw some lines. Kids need boundaries. They need limits. So I will say to my daughter, you have to wear shorts that cover all of your ass cheek. Yeah. Like, that's my rule. My rule is if we're going to get you shorts, they have to cover the entire scope of your butt and no part of your ass cheek is hanging out. And she's like, okay. I didn't necessarily share my why in that in that sense. It was implied. Um, she probably knows. Well, she's older. Yeah. She's 14, almost 15. Mm-hmm. Wait, so but this is like my daughter will want to buy like a crop top. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I was feeling like guilty, kind of almost like I was body shaming her by saying no. But where I landed on it was like, you can wear a cropped top as long as you are wearing a high-waisted pant. You know, it's like we're not showing our whole – we're not wearing a a bra out and about. Again, I think just checking your feelings and going, okay, if I'm feeling like – you know, this, this feels restrictive for some way, then sharing the why really helps. Yeah. Like why? Because you don't want a body shame. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yes. But the why is hard because you're like, am I, am I just old and my why is like out of date? Yes. Am I, am I like body shaming or slut shaming? Right. Like, am I part of the problem by saying you can't show this part of your body? Right. Like- and like, now the kids throw around, which is like so sad now that like abortion is no longer a federal right, but like my body, my choice, right? That was the tagline Yeah, as we were growing up as young people and adults. And now they kids use that as a term they throw around about everything. Like, hey, can you, can you like put a napkin on your lap? And they're like, my body, my choice. Oh, and yeah. you're like, can you not wear a crop top? And they're like, my body, my choice. And I'm like, this is not funny on so many levels. But they do you do want them to have a sense of bodily autonomy. Like that's a really healthy part of growing up is like loving your body and feeling good in your body and all of that. And so it is a complicated dance. Can we talk about the ungendering of it for a second? Because we've only used examples with girls. And I think it's really important. Go back to your your kids sitting around the breakfast table. It's it goes across the genders. It's complicated. It is complicated and yet I've had to tell my son to put a shirt on for like five years. I mean, really, it's the same. It's the same rule, and I think we should shine a light. But then, you know, you go to a say you go to a pool or a, the beach or something, and oh, yeah. a five-year-old boy doesn't have to wear a shirt, but a five-year-old girl has to wear a bathing suit that covers her, you know, upper her nipples. Basically, she can wear right. a bikini or something. So there is a difference. There is. And a double standard. Yeah, it's a double standard. And you know what? Fine. Men don't have breasts. So I'm okay with it. It's not a sex organ really that you're out there parading around as a an object of desire. Maybe it is. Although, although I mean some pecs. Although when they hit like 16, 17, 18, 19, they are walking around with no shirt on in order to be objects of desire. Seen. Yes. And so, okay, so then they're doing the same thing as mm-hmm. girls in this scenario, but it's not perceived the same. 
No. It's really not. There's no like negative, like that guy's a slut or anything like that. It's only towards girls, I feel like. They will say like the the diss of boys who show their bodies often, like on social media or out, is that they're it's a flex. Right. Mm. So they're um they're doing this to get attention and to get positive reinforcement in the same way, you know, you call girls or guys, it's a thirst trap photo, right? You're like, you're looking hot and sexy as you always do, Caitlin, on social media. Um, And so there's that aspect. So there is a bit of a standard about boys. I find the hardest thing with boys is like how they feel comfortable and want to like touch their bodies and have their hands down their pants at all times in every setting. I mean, I don't mean out in public, but I mean like in the living room, at the table, right? It's just like, so I have found that the setting boundaries happens around that. Also, there's like a lot of like mooning and like whipping out penises to entertain family members or to gross them out. And so I've had to set some boundaries around that. Yeah. I mean, I used to moon anything with a nose back in my day. I was a big mooner. I don't think I've ever mooned anyone ever. Not even out a car window on the highway? <laughs> ever? Um, no. Okay. The consent conversation that we were starting to have. And and just go with me on this for a second. Buckle up, Caitlin. We, <laughs> here we go. Take it away. There was this shift in the 80s um, from blaming the victim of a sexual assault to really recognizing that the victim was not to blame, that it wasn't what she, it was usually a she, what she was wearing or what she was doing that was inviting the assault. This was a really important shift, right? So now flash forward decades later, and we're telling our kids two things that are in opposition, which is it's not your fault if you're a victim Okay, and consent is sort of, you know, the 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 whole concept of a of a very affirmative yes, enthusiastic yes, and being part making choice, and anything short of that is not having your consent, and therefore is not okay. We're saying that on the one hand, and on the other hand, at the same time, we're saying, but if you wear this crop top that's really tight and shows your belly button and might show your new boobs, the the fill in the blank is you're inviting these unwanted advances. And I think that's the why that's important. It's important to explain the complexity of all of it to all kids and let them sit with these conflicting truths. The answer is men are dogs and they want to get in your coochie, okay? (laughs) That's why, honey. We're going to tell the truth about this. Um, But that is why. Like, that's the fucking reason why. Men want women's bodies. Like, I know. And it's not like it's, you know, it, it, you can't protect your child against every predator out there. Right. Right. But like also why I go back to the bathing suit thing, which just blows my mind all the time. I'm like, are we not caring about our, our daughter's sun coverage as much as our son? Like, look at these, like they get to wear whole, you know, shorts to the beach and stuff. I'm like, why is she in her underwear? And he in like a a short sleeve, like rash guard and shorts. Like, why is this, I'm going to make a side note that's going to shock Vanessa. Vanessa is going to be like, there's no way this is coming out of Cara's mouth. But for for many years in the, the beginning stages of puberty, when girls are just starting to get breasts, 
I really do believe that bikinis tend to hide what's going on in the body better than one Hmm. piece bathing suits Mm. and make many girls feel more comfortable. Because when you stop and think about what a one piece looks like, which is technically fuller coverage, you can see everything that is happening underneath that one piece. Whereas a bikini, there's this like visual shift that kind of throws you off and you don't, especially as breasts are starting to grow and buds and this, that, and the other, you don't really know what's happening. And there could be like little frills or whatever. So I think that bathing suit example is a really good one because sometimes the you know, sort of the, the best answer for one family might not be the answer that they think they're landing on. I would have thought I would have been a one piece only parent. And then when my daughter started developing, I was like, bikini for you. Plus it's easier it's just, to pee in. Oh, so much easier. <laughs> oh, so I wanted to tell you guys, I did this like poll on my stories yesterday. I was like asking people the three most things that they're insecure about. And like 90% of women were just saying body, body. Yeah. Everything was body or weight or fitness or that kind of yeah. thing. And I'm, I get it. Like that consumes a lot of my mind too. I'm like, I have to exercise today. I do exercise so much for my mental health, but like, yeah, I do feel a certain pressure to keep a physical, a level of physical fitness for myself. And so much of that insecurity is actually rooted in puberty. Yeah. Um, because the permission other people feel to make comments about kids changing bodies is astounding to me. Parents, caregivers, random strangers talking about breast development or acne or height or weight or any of it. It's like yeah. unbelievable. And so for those of us who grew up at a time where no one <laughs> was turning to like Aunt Rose and saying, hey, Aunt Rose, like, you shut can't it. Talk about <laughs> shut the fuck yeah. up. Like, so we now advocate for adults to either prepare other adults, like, not to talk about their kids changing body so as to hopefully prevent some of that trauma. Um, and I used, I don't use trauma use loosely. I use trauma like in a real way. Yeah. Um, and also sometimes we have to stick up for our kids in the moment. Like, you got to step in and say, hey, you know what? We actually don't talk about bodies in our house. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can ask him about what movies he's watching or what um, music he's listening to, but like, please don't talk about his body. You want to know what's kind of funny? I became like much more self-conscious and like aware of body stuff when I became older. Like when I was like in my 20s more, like after college, moving to New York City. Mm. Oh, interesting. Because I was just like playing sports and in college was about like sports and and social like friendships and eating peanut butter and jellies and drinking beers. Like it was great. But then you know, in New York, I was like out on different scenes through my job, going to parties for fundraisers and things like that. And I was like, oh my God, these women, you know, are just looking so glamorous and skinny and all of that. And I think it became like, oh, it's like, oh, there's something called a calorie. (laughs) And I think, I think it's important to recognize that men have that exact same negative aha moment. They just don't talk about it that much. And they don't have the pressure to appear a certain way. They do. Oh, much. they do. No, they do. You think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's something we talk about a lot in the book. Eating disorder rates and lower body image is actually incredibly high and common for boys. Wow. And boys feel tons of pressure to look a certain way. It's just not necessarily to be 
skinny. Right. They feel pressure to be mm-hmm. manly yeah. or built or cut. And they are, you know, restricting diets. They are exercising obsessively. All this stuff, they're they're eating and drinking the craziest stuff in order to build muscle mass. Yeah. They're taking supplements. I mean, there's a lot of really scary stuff happening with guys. And we have to help them talk about it because you're right. They don't necessarily express it, but they're they're pursuing it. They're pursuing a bodily ideal as much as we are. Although I've stopped pursuing a bodily ideal because it's it's never going to happen. So I've just accepted yeah. who I am now that I'm almost 47 years old. Okay, let's talk about pleasure. Um, we have a Theragun in our house, a Theragun, which I don't know if everybody knows what a Theragun is. It's like a, a, a massager thing, like for mus- muscles. <laughs> Did, was it's a that muscle a good- jackhammer. It's a muscle jackhammer. Yeah. Um, now my daughter likes to take the Theragun with her to a private place sometimes and put it in a place that makes her probably vibrate a bit and she will laugh uncontrollably. Like she's like having a great time. She's actually not even hiding. She's just like sitting on a bed or something like that. Cause it's a, a comfortable place to use the Theragun. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about this. Like maybe I don't need to say anything right now about that or, um, but when I do, what is that conversation and the conversation around like pleasure and female pleasure in general with, girls and teens and all of that. Like what is the fucking language ladies? Tell me. So I think we need to, we have to split that conversation into two parts. Okay. One is the Theragun part yeah. and one is the pleasure part. Yes. Okay. So the Theragun part, I just, first of all, want to affirm that this is incredibly common. We have gotten yeah. countless questions from our listeners about specifically the Theragun. Oh, Great. Specifically the Theragun. It is completely typical. And this is like cross-country phenomenon. It seems like everyone and their mother has a Theragun and their <laughs> daughters have all discovered um, the uh, alternative use for that Theragun. Theragun stock is just going through the fucking roof right now. <laughs> yes, apparently. Now, Cara will talk about why specifically a Theragun is not a great way to find self-pleasure. It's very harsh. Yes. So Cara, if you could just explain while we're totally for people understanding what gives their bodies pleasure, and we'll talk about that. Why a Theragun should not be a vibrator. Yes. Let me just clarify in case my daughter ever listens to this one day. She's not putting it like right there. It's like on the upper thigh and it's a little further away. I think it's just like the reverberation. Right. So I was going to go there, which is exactly that. There are, we get so many emails, texts, DMs about Theragun and there are two different ways that they're used. One way is adjacent to if if it's in a female body adjacent to the clitoris so that there is some vibrational sensation that's being transmitted up the thigh towards the clitoris that feels really good to some kids and and adults um and then the other is when the theragun is used on the clitoris and the clitoris as Vanessa always describes in our workshops it's the one part of the body whose only job it is is to feel good 
Oh, that's so nice. It's a, Unless it's a great way you of put it. a Theragun right on it. Unless you put a Theragun. Right. So that's the thing is it is so densely packed with nerve endings. The skin at the clitoris is really thin and real gets tender and inflamed very, very quickly. So if you are using a Theragun at that spot, you can really injure yourself quite quickly. Or the other thing that can happen is you can get enough inflammation that you can end up holding your pee because it's tender and it hurts. And then you get a UTI and UTIs hurt. For Christ's sakes, Cara. Let's talk about the pleasure part. Okay, let's go. Vanessa. So, all right. So let's talk about the pleasure part. And, And first of all, what people may not know is the part of the clitoris that you can see is only part of the clitoris. The clitoris is actually tissue. There's tissue underneath. That's like a wishbone shape. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do they call it the wishbone because we always wish that someone would be able to find someone it? Someone would fucking touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it? Where the fuck is that? It's right here. Um, so, Kaylin, that's a perfect segue. So part of the reason it's important and great for kids to figure out what feels good on their bodies. And by the way, kids masturbate. I'm going to use the word masturbate. Kids masturbate or touch their bodies or find pleasure with their bodies. It's not just a puberty phenomenon. Yeah. Actually, I don't even know why I'm only talking about the Theragun. My son is playing with his ding dong all the day long. Like he's just, whenever I go in there, he's like rubbing it up and down. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to say about this either right yes. now. <laughs> I'm t- I'm too d- I'm dealing with the Theragun right yes. now, honey. I'll come back to this. But it's good for them to know what feels good on yeah. their bodies because God willing someday they will have a healthy, loving, meaningful relationship with someone and want that person to be intimate with them. And if they know what feels good on their bodies, that intimacy will be that much more pleasurable, meaningful, trust-filled if they can communicate and say Yes, there. No, no, not there. That doesn't feel good. Okay, no, go back to where you were. No, a little to the left, a little to the right, right? We want them to know exactly what feels good Do in their bodies. Do you have conversations like that with your teenagers? Um, so I have three sons and one daughter, and I've had very frank and upfront conversations with all of my kids, regardless of gender. But as it relates to the clitoris, this is relevant to my daughter. We were watching Bridgerton. It's the scene in season one where Daphne loses her virginity. Yeah, I remember. And she like she's up against a ladder in a library or something and there's no foreplay. It's just penis in the vagina and she has this incredible orgasm. So unrealistic. So I pause the show and I look at my daughter and I'm like, "Okay, so that's not what losing your virginity looks like. And if someone just like puts their penis inside someone's vagina, like they're not going to immediately orgasm. It's very unrealistic. And I said, what does he need to find in order for her to really have an orgasm most likely? And she was like, the clitoris. Oh, good. And I said, thank you very much. And then I just pressed play. Okay. The short answer is we don't want them to say the Theragun. <laughs> yes, right. That's really where this conversation is landing. Full circle. But they do figure out other ways, right? Like your kid is in the bath and they're sitting near the running tap and they're like, oh, that tickles. Or they're yeah, like, it does you know, tickle. Yeah. Sitting, I don't know, on a, I don't know, some sort of ride at an amusement park and something's vibrating and they're like, oh, that tickles. Like you want to affirm their noticing their body's reaction to stuff. Toddlers masturbate. I mean, this is not like, it's not like your kid goes into puberty and starts masturbating. Kids find self pleasure 
from from very, very early days, and adults continue to have self-pleasure. So there's nothing about this stage of life that's unique to it. But talking about the safety pieces of it are really, really important, I think. Don't injure yourself with a Theragun. Yeah. Indirect. Yeah. But I, I just specifically about using something like a Theragun on the inner thigh, that's a great conversation starter. Like, hey, listen, I see you're using this tool there. That that feels fine to me because it's on a big muscle. Keep it away from your clitoris because you're going to really make sensitive tissue hurt more and swell. So like on the inner thigh, you you go to town. And are we, ta- are we talking about the clitoris with the seven-year-old? No, are we ta- yes. Not only are we talking about it, we're like explicitly talking about it. The the book series, The Care and Keeping of You, which I inherited about 10 years ago, um, the original book did not label the clitoris. And there was a lot of pushback about that. It labeled everything else in the vulva, but not the clitoris. And actually, Peggy Ornstein wrote about it. And she called it out. And I love her for that. And when we did the reboot 10 years ago, we labeled the clitoris. And it turned out that there was just some, some sort of ambivalence on the first round of publishing the book that if it doesn't have any physiologic um, sort of function other than pleasure, should it be labeled? And the answer, of course, is yes, because its function is pleasure. And so now it's in there and it's a book for seven and eight-year-olds. So yeah, talk about it. And the reason people talk about boys' pleasure is because their reproductive organ and their organ that gives them pleasure are one and the same. Whereas for people with vulvas and vaginas, like, People just skip over the clitoris and go right to the internal reproductive organs because that feels safer than talking about female pleasure. It sounds like some misogynistic bullshit to me. I would uh-huh. agree. So we're going to change that. I also wanted to ask you guys about your podcast a little bit. Like, what are your most popular? topics that you cover, your most listened to episodes? So there's one episode in particular that I I particularly love. That's a lot of particulars. Um, that's our intern episode about hookup culture. And the reason I love it so much is that Vanessa and I just sat back and four of our interns who were between 18 and 22 just taught us about the new order of operations of sexual relationships, which we had learned about, but they really articulated so beautifully and so frighteningly. And so we send parents to that episode all the time because it walks through how in days of yore, there would be, you know, I like that person. I'm going to ask that person out. I might kiss that person. I might fool around with that person. I might have sex with that person, but I'm in a relationship usually when I have sex, but maybe not. But probably. And now you just like literally flip that thing on its head. And the, I like that person is often the last step, which is just so bananas to think through. Or I'm in a committed relationship with that person comes long after having sex with them. Wow. I know. So here's the thing that's important to know about our podcast. Even though it's called the puberty podcast, it, it actually covers like a decade and a half of caring for kids. It covers everything from like homework frustrations to brain development in tweens and teens to sexual health and relationships um, to mental health issues. So it it covers the gamut of yeah. everything you're going to deal with with kids. 
And some of our most popular issues, actually, Caitlin, relate a lot to what you think and talk about all the time, which is, why the hell is my kid acting this way? How the hell do I deal with it? Right? So it's a lot actually about brain science. We Mm. have a few, we have a couple of neuropsychologists who come on. And the other is the points of frustration around the mundane aspects of family life, like getting your kid to do their homework or getting your kid to pick the shit up off the floor in their room, right? Like the the small issues that become really challenging and frustrating as we care for kids. Yeah. And those are huge. Like Tori Cordiano is an executive functioning specialist. She's a clinical psychologist. We did two episodes with her that were off the charts. Um, Molly Colvin is a neuropsychologist up in Massachusetts. We've done two brain science episodes with her. People love them. Yeah. So it's not all about the clitoris and the penis. Right. Um, It's actually often about all the adjacent things that go on when you're caring for kids this age. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like one, you can't almost talk about one without the other because it's all like intertwined with the hormones and the way that people are ready to talk about things given their developmental phase within the long cycle that is puberty, right? Yeah. And it doesn't, we like to say it doesn't happen just below the neck. Puberty happens above the neck and in the brain and in the moods. And so you can't address just one part of it. You have to address it holistically and care for kids holistically, which means an absurd amount of patience and compassion. Yeah. Patience. God, I have to work on that. I I have no patience. I have none. None. Um, I wanted to just say quickly one thing. Vanessa is my neighbor's and friend's sister. And I had dinner with Vanessa and Cara in our town a couple of weeks ago. And Vanessa's brother is a comedian, Nick Kroll. And shout out to my sister, Dana, who is the most devoted puberty podcast listener in the entire world. She is, she is the best. She's um, awesome in every way. I love it's her. True. It's true. We um, just made this episode solely for her. We did. So this one's dedicated to it. you, Dana. <laughs> um, also, I need to ask you guys both what your favorite snacks are. Car, do you know? Oh, 100%. Okay, you go. I know what hers are. My AM snack is always bread. It can be a piece of bread. It can be bagel. It can be crack. It's like bread. bread. Carbohydrate. Carb. And then my PM snack, I'm a big ice cream person. Oh, I love, like, I'm such a clean eater for meals, but but I eat, eat these teeny tiny scoops of ice cream, like baby cones from Trader Joe's or these mini scoops in these mini bowls. Always. So those are my favorite snacks, Caitlin. Bread and mini ice cream. Yeah. For sure, my nighttime snack is dark chocolate covered almonds. Mm, yeah, delicious. Those are, I get a, a paw full and eat those. My morning snack, I would say... I mean, pita chips and hummus. That's good. I love that. (laughs) That wraps us up for all the questions, the official questions that I had for you guys today. But I did want to also say that you have a brand called Umla, which is very cool. Ungendered shorts, which I wear to bed now. You gave me a pair. They're so comfy. And these socks that that defungus your feet. So if you have teens with stinky feet, I gave the pair that you gave me to my son because his feet are rancid. So, yes. Um, yeah. So I will put that in show notes so people can check out your Thank brand you. too. Yeah. Um, and you. the bras, um bras. Um, and the nice thing about the 
Oom shorts is that for 12-year-olds who want to have their hands down their pants at all moments. Easy access. It's very easy access. Yeah. There's not a lot in your of own room. room, though. Yes. Correct. Yeah. In the bathroom or in your room, not on the couch while watching TV with everybody else. else. Yeah. That was the language you needed for your kid. Yeah. Well, you guys are a wealth of knowledge. We'll have to do this again. I feel like the conversation will shift and there are things that are going to come up that I'm going to need help with. Yes. We can't wait. Thank you so much for coming today. Thanks, Caitlin. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack.